What's Up Internet. It's uh, John here from the CNTW IPS service in Cumbria, Northumberland, Tynemuir, with the Employment Support Service across the trust and dead excited to be recording another Interwebs podcast with my colleagues. Today, we are coming from St. Nicholas Hospital in Gosforth, Newcastle upon Tyne. And I'm joined by one, two, three, four brilliant colleagues today who I don't think, I think one's been on the podcast before, but three are podcast newbies. So dead excited to welcome them. And today we are going to be talking about reasonable adjustments, reasonable adjustments, which you might not have heard of before, but it, they really apply to everybody. That was my colleague. <laughs> Let us introduce first Jose. Please say hello. Hello, this is Jose. I was the one making the noise, sorry. Um, I am IPS Employment Specialist. I am at in the West End in Silverdale and I'm very happy to participate in this podcast. It is a pleasure to have you. Cheers, Jose. Um, next, we have Ian. Hi, everybody. I'm Ian Martin and I'm the um, Employment Specialist working at Gate to the IP, but recently um, the team lead for the IPS Service and Addictions. <laughs> Yep, so Ian's going to be um, spearheading a new team that, yep, uh, IPSAD, or as heathens say, Ipsad. 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 And uh, last but definitely not least, we have Deborah and Kate. Hi, my name's Deborah Stoker. I'm the IPS administrator. Um, been working with the team since February of this year and um, really excited to be on the podcast. So thank you guys. Very warm welcome, Deb. And Kate, are you going to say hello? Hi, I'm Kate Lancaster. I'm the shyest one of the group. Um, so I'm an employment specialist and I've been with the team two years um, and I'm based at Newcastle EIP um, and kind of excited to be on the podcast, but very excited to listen to it because it's always a good bedtime read. <laughs> Cheers, Kate. Welcome, everybody. Um, so today we're going to be talking about reasonable adjustments and it may be that many listeners have never heard of reasonable adjustments or they have heard of them and assume that they don't in any way apply to them. Um, what did you guys, you're employment specialists now, so your, um, you know, reasonable adjustments are part of our day job, but prior to coming into IPS, what was your knowledge of reasonable adjustments? Deb, did you... What was your knowledge of them initially? No, I had very little knowledge of reasonable adjustments. Um, I'd heard maybe one or two, but in in, in the context of um, physical disability. So because yep. I'd been on a recruitment and selection um, team prior to this post, um, you know, we'd um, had to make reasonable adjustments physically. So we'd had to um, have a ground floor accommodation to do the interviewing. But that was a very limited um, experience of reasonable adjustments. Ian, um, what kind of experience did you have of them, of them if any? Um, I didn't have any sort of experience prior to, to coming into this role of reasonable adjustments. My, my, my own personal opinion was, was they always cost lots of money to a business because generally that's what you what you what you see and hear in the press when when, when something has been done for somebody. Um, so that was my understanding prior to this job role. So you, you uh, Jose, I'm leaving you till last deliberately because I know that you have previously worked in HR, so I'd expect that you had. Ex extensive knowledge of reasonable adjustments but for the people who weren't from an HRE background or employment background you, you knew that reasonable adjustments were related to like having a job and being able to do that job well is, is that right? I, I knew that they were related to um, specifically disability but physical disability Right. so if we, if we had um, a candidate coming for an interview um, who might be in a wheelchair then we would have to ensure that we had ground floor premises to um, support that support and facilitate that interview so brilliant yep Jose it's time to shine you've worked in HR haven't you so when did you first come across reasonable adjustments and what was the kind of context there thank you John yeah, well it's yeah, I guess when I started having this uh, information when I was studying my degree, um, and then it was uh, the working in, in, in HR. Um, 
it was a common thing to have with people that I were having the difficulties that they were struggling with um, with their jobs either because they had an accident or an incident and or, or they were yeah mentally uh, ill um, and so there was the possibility of just having the fit note from the doctor at that time uh, saying his person yeah, is not fit yeah. for work or us trying to see well can we do anything to support them to return to work and maybe well, what can we do? We don't have a, a sort of list of things that we can do, but um, what would you need to, for us to do it with you? And um, that was how we were working with them. Brilliant. So for <coughs> people that don't, who, who've never heard of reasonable adjustments before or who have heard about them in passing, essentially it's, it's related to the law, it's related to the Equality Act, and it relates to the things that you need to be able to do a job to the best of your ability um, which the employer would be providing. So it's, it's, is it fair to say it's a legal entitlement that people have, any employer, employee has? Any employee can ask, can request for that one as long as they disclose their disability um, as well. And something that um, they can request it, but that doesn't mean that they have to have it. So it's then for the company as well, for the organization to assess the request and to see if it is possible for us to offer what you are asking for. Brilliant. So people who are listening to this now who might be thinking, you know, I'm vaguely interested in IPS or I'm vaguely interested in employment. Um, the reason this might be critical is that this does apply to anybody. In in my opinion, uh, we're we're going to talk and we're going to get into the meat and potatoes of this, and we're going to talk about you know the Equality Act and what is a reasonable adjustment and what examples and stuff like that. But in my opinion, anybody anybody in theory is entitled to reasonable adjustments, even though the Equality Act might say you've got to have a protected characteristic. So. To anyone listening to this now, the reason I'd encourage you to keep listening is that this may be one of the things that could help you have a healthier work-life balance. It could help you be do your job to the best of your ability. It could help you negotiate with the employer, have a happier, have a happier life ultimately. Um, or you may know people who are in this situation and don't know they're entitled to reasonable adjustments. So hopefully this is universal. And even though the Equality Act is very specific, isn't it, about disability or protected characteristics um we're going to kind of talk about how that may not always be the case and how actually the law hasn't kind of kept pace with uh social circumstances and our knowledge of mental health and stuff like that is that fair to say yeah <laughs> cool um before we get into this i wanted to say that we are not legal experts are we and that even though we would do pride ourselves on being canny experienced like um, this is no substitute for legal advice. So little asterisk disclaimer, um, if you're in a pretty diff tough situation with your employer and um, you know, you're listening to this for a bit of advice, do think about approaching ACAS, think about approaching a union or think about approaching a specialist employment lawyer. Um, do do a bit of research citizens advice bureau shout out to shona alexander and newcastle citizens advice um they also offer free um legal advice in some circumstances so don't just rely on our what we're going to be talking about although hopefully it's useful um so we've kind of talked a little bit about reasonable adjustments is it does anyone feel comfortable saying who who's eligible for reasonable adjustments in your experience in my experience, it's um, anybody that's sort of covered by the Equality Act, you know, anybody with a, a mental ill health, severe mental ill health or physical mm -hmm. disability um, are entitled, like you said at the start, John, entitled to, 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 to put in an application for a reasonable adjustment to help them do the, the job to, to the best of their ability or to a standard, you know, that, that would be expected of somebody without that disability. I mean, just just to sort of um, read off the um, characteristics, John, there's sexual orientations and protected characteristic, religion or belief, age, um, disability, gender reassignment. I think that's that's a more recent addition. Um, marriage or civil partnership, pregnancy and maternity, race and sex. So they're the protected characteristics. In my, in my opinion, this is where people are not because of Deborah's brilliant point and reading out of the protected characteristics. I think this is sometimes where people turn off because they think, 
how many people have we met through working in mental health who would never in a million years consider themselves to have a disability mm-hmm. and the law phrasing it in that way i think it creates an all or nothing situation where people think i'm or either i've got to say i'm disabled in which case i'm covered by the equality act or if that doesn't represent me if i don't identify with that then i'm not covered by this is that your have you guys met people who have been in that situation and if so how have you kind of broke kate have you met people who would identify as being disabled or how do you have that conversation i think it's making people feel easy about it i think it's making people feel easy about it and making people feel not ashamed of asking for reasonable adjustments there's no fear to that and there is a lot of stigma behind it and people are frightened what they should disclose um in particular mental health i think people are fearful of discrimination yep it's, it's entitlement isn't it yeah. you're entitled to it by law and if you happen to have this is the way that we often talk about it in the team isn't it if you happen to have had an experience of mental Ill health then um well i'm saying this and then i'm thinking of the employment lawyers or friends that we may have who would be listening to this and screaming at their ipod um nano like because technically you've got i think is the protected characteristic that you've got to have um an enduring health problem is that what the definition of disability is the yeah so my understanding of that is it's it's a disability that has been for a year or an illness or disability that will last for over a year so okay okay how you i'm playing devil's advocate here how on earth can you predict how long your health problem is going to last no that's the thing you you can't can you 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 can't predict it i mean uh, i suppose a physical disability or something like a can a a cancer you 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 can predict it and you have all the medical notes you know behind you to back and support that up with mental ill health, you know, if you if you're at the start of a of of, of endurance serious, serious mental ill health, you don't know how long that's going to go on for. So, obviously, our role is is to 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 use our expert knowledge and use the experts we work with, the likes of our doctors and my GPs, get some letters written for for our service users, for our clients to to, to just um to pass over to the employers to say, look, this is what they've been, this is what. John Smith or Jane Doe is being diagnosed with. Yes, it's at the start of that treatment. However, we perceive this to be an ongoing process. And I suppose with myself working in EIP, I can always go back and say, look, when somebody comes into EIP, they're with us for a, you know, a maximum of three years. So, you know, if they're with us, they're going to be there for, for a prolonged period of time. Yep. And, and that can support their, their, their claim for the reasonable adjustment. Maybe that's the beauty of it, that if, if one of the limitations of the Equality Act is that you have to have some you have to be experiencing something that might last a year or more that uh, in in health we would never normally think in those terms would we oh um, we're meeting john smith and he's going to be ill for approximately 14 months um and we can say that categorically we i suppose the benefit is though that we can err on the side of caution and say actually we do think john would benefit from 14 months worth of treatment and therefore in terms of the quality act you would qualify as um being protected under the disability kind of category. Uh, it's not ideal though, because again, I think it's encouraging this binary. We talked about this last time about, and we've talked about before on the podcast about the benefit system being very binary. You know, you either fit to work or you're not fit to work. And again, with the Equality Act, I suppose there's similar things happening where you have to identify um, as, as being disabled to qualify. In, in this context, when we're talking about health, um, I guess like Deb was reading, there may be other areas in, under which you qualify for protected status well yeah there might be but also john i mean in terms of your mental health um it can fluctuate as we all know so you might have a run of um you know quite ill mental health yep. and then you know with medication and treatments and and other elements of um you know fitting into the recovery process they might have a period of um you know feeling well um but then they might their their mental health might dip again so as you say it's not binary it's 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 not linear it's you know very like a twisted road i suppose yeah so if the law is very linear though i guess what we could recommend to listeners or people who are in the situation is that um perhaps if you're looking to qualify for protection under the equality act 
seek to provide evidence that shows that you have an in that horrible technical jargon an enduring health problem so that you would qualify so um anyone who's accessing our service our service in ips in ips i beg your pardon so many acronyms anyone who's accessing a community treatment team or an eip team would likely qualify wouldn't there so people who are currently we're working with would qualify but for other members of the public perhaps who are you know saying getting some help from their gp or from um, a primary care counselor could they can you think of any advice like could they approach their gp or counselor and say would you write as a letter of support or how do you how do we think or could they write something themselves to say actually this is something that i've experienced for quite a long time it is an enduring problem and therefore i'm protected by the equality act do you think that type of thing would be helpful or am i getting am i leaping ahead here and maybe making it more complicated i think in the first instance if somebody wanted to write a letter i'd be recommending them to do that and i think that's fine and that and that's a bit of self-disclosure as well and, and empowers them um i just think about businesses and companies and we're talking about being linear sometimes you just see the bottom line so they might want some further evidence so a letter from your gp you know would support that further and, and i suppose that the benefit of the gp and or any other health professional is although you may not be diagnosed with something but they may have on record that you've been attending their gp surgery for a prolonged and endured period of time due to this health issue yeah that would suffice to say that whatever health issue it is that you have that it is enduring, enduring and it's been yeah. over a year and the gp may support you to say it, it'll continue over a year um with that as well it's um, with the with the Equality Act and and, and, and reasonable adjustments and, and and having that prolonged injured um, mental ill um, physical or mental ill health, if you have three days of depression or anxiety and then you have one good day and it starts again, that doesn't start at the beginning again. So yeah. you know it's all accumulative. So you might suffer three days, one week, two days, the next week, one day the following week, and then have eight, you know, six, seven weeks being fine and then ill again it's still an enduring health condition it doesn't matter when it rears its ugly head that is still classed as enduring and again writing your own letter is great but i i feel personally that companies still want that extra yeah. support from a from, from a medical professional or practitioner just to just a robust standard i think this is one of the things that kind of gets my goat a little bit with the equality act and as brilliant as it is and as protective as it is and you know it, it does a lot of heavy lifting for us and su supports and protects people that we work with. But to make it so specific around, you know, particularly around health with the disability requirement, it really like, um, it really doesn't normalize mental health and it makes it really difficult for us because as a service, we feel, um, I hope I speak for you guys, but you know, everyone's got mental health. If you've got a brain, you've got mental health. And to make it so like the threshold's so high that you have to have an enduring mental health problem before you qualify for protection under the Equality Act. Doesn't it like ride roughshod over the idea that employers or the law has a responsibility to protect everybody? People are nodding, yeah, but definitely. the listeners can't. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean, I've always said, I think in, in some situations, and for me, this is one of them, it's sometimes a little bit backwards in its thinking. So you need somebody to suffer from an mental ill health or physical health ill health for a year for them to get some support why not put that support in earlier on yeah and then for your business potentially if the bottom line is your financial earnings you're probably going to save money because you're supporting somebody right at the very very beginning of that journey and that support's there in place and you're not going to have just presenteeism or or losing hours to sickness it's it's done so it's it, it's it's a little bit of investment at the start for a pro, for for a longer gain down the line, but a lot of businesses and governments, shall we say, as well, I think look um, look quite short term with 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 what they're doing, how they support people, throw money at it when their problems there, rather than putting some investment in hmm. prior to the problem. Yep, intervening early, yep. definitely. Encouraging people to talk though, it's that talking, isn't it? It's opening up with your manager or your team lead, whoever it is you feel comfortable sharing. And it's opening up the doors way before, you know, earlier intervention comes in. So if you can talk to people at work about how you're feeling, you know, make them aware, then, you know, it's half the battle, isn't it? Um, Definitely. Kate, come really close to that mic because you're saying 
profound and brilliant things. But um, because you're a little bit further away, it was it was quite a but thank you. Uh, and that what what you were saying there about people encouraging people to talk, um, it leads beautifully onto this whole idea of sharing information, which in the olden days was called disclosure. But we're generally Lynn Miller of IPS Grow is a militant, you know, um, advocate of us not using that word anymore because dis disclosure suggests that it's a, di a dirty secret of some kind you know something oh you've got to keep it hidden you've got to keep it private when when actually what you're saying kate is you know people should be comfortable and proud sometimes of of sharing their their experiences who was it um was it paul anders from phe who was telling us about the canada model where people who are going through uh alcohol and drug dis was it paul i got I don't know. Um, I think that was me. Me and you for the for the, for the job I got when I was when I did the was research. It? And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Please, can you tell us that because it was really interesting. Yeah. So I know when I was speaking to you in private, I I, I did it in an interview, right, saying the Canadian model, but I think I said the, a different, a Swedish model that did that to you um, privately before. But yeah, in, in in Canada, if somebody's coming through addiction services or, or mental health services, um, and they're successfully engaging, that's seen as a positive. <laughs> and they're given points towards their interview. So if you disclose at interview, so say, hi, I'm, I'm Ian, uh, you know, I've had issues with alcohol, I've been through addiction services, I'm coming through the other side, that wouldn't go against me. An employer wouldn't straight away go, There's, there, there potentially could be risks here. Yep. They actually see that as a positive and that you've made moves forward and steps forward. So, you know, I might get an extra two, three points on my interview application process for, for, for achieving that and, it, and it, it, it's seen as a, a good thing. And we should be following. Sorry, Kate, I had your mic muted, go. We should be following. Uh, a, a thousand, a thousand, a hundred percent. Um, yeah, what, what if we were to get employers on board with this idea that anyone, I mean, how many times, how many people have we met? Hundreds and hundreds of people, right, who happen through no fault of their own to have experienced mental health difficulties. And they're the most like inspiring, resilient, creative, resourceful people like we've sometimes ever met. And when we're talking about old fashioned language, disclosure or sharing information, actually what, what we're saying, and we've talked about this before, you, kind of put a positive spin on your story so if you're um if you're applying for a job what could you th say or think about or write down that shows your kind of recovery journey or resilience your creativity your um you know your brilliance to that employer that acknowledges happens to acknowledge that you've been through a health difficulty because not only are you selling yourself but you're also critically getting covered by the equality act and this is the big link in to today's podcast that if you can if you can successfully do that, it's a double whammy because the employer will hopefully love you. But also you've got the legal backup then of of the Equality Act and this ability to access reasonable adjustments. Have you guys had any experience of 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 doing this or having these negotiations? No, sorry. Re before answering to that, um something that I would also like to say is that uh, by you sharing that information with the employer, with your manager, you are also giving the opportunity to them to help you and to support you. And how can we support you to get out of this uh, and to get you better? And because we want you as a happy employ employee, and because if you are not at your hundred percent, you are not going to be able to give your hundred percent. So that is also having that possibility that a um, good relationship with your manager that should that should give it to you that opportunity <clears throat> absolutely and um I, I was thinking about you know the most basic version of this i suppose is you know when you've got um you're applying for an interview and you'll sometimes see that box on the interview application saying does it, do you need special adjustments or whatever have you guys had any experience of that helping people apply for jobs and request adjustments at the interview stage for example kate i'm oh sorry ian go on yeah no, go on, go on. <laughs> I, I, I haven't personally. Um, not at the interview stage. It's normally when people have have, have have been accepted for their job role. That's when we normally ask for the reasonable adjustments. Um, a lot of my service users are quite. I'm not going to say, say the word comfortable going to interviews. I don't think anybody is. I'm I'm nervous as anybody going to an interview. But we do the obviously the the mock interviews and the prep work for that. But 
at that stage, I haven't had, I haven't had asked for reasonable adjustments, but I know a man who has. Mm-hmm. Go for it, Jose. Yeah, the the other day, I well, I was supporting a client that um, she was very enthusiastic about to go to the interview, but uh, she was quite stressed about that one. So we disclose. Um, sorry, we share the information that uh, uh, that she needed, um, that she had a uh, mental health uh, issues, and she wanted. She asked if it was possible for me to be with her at the interview. Brilliant. And the, um, the, the organization happily agreed to that one. And on top of that one, well, then they privately came to me as well to say, do we need anything else apart from that one? So I was sharing, yes, please. Well, make her feel at ease. Um, brilliant lady. She will give 100%. But then her nervousness might betray her do you know what I'm sorry to to interrupt you I just wanted to say that this is the beauty of in my opinion this is the beauty of reasonable adjustments how basic are we talking here so like you were attending the interview and the professional the professional expert employment specialist advice was can you make her feel at ease I mean Mm. Uh, how how brilliant is that like we're not asking them to spend money we're not asking them to do you know roll out a red carpet um hire and and the, the way how how she felt because then when we were going when they receive us and we were going uh, to the to the room um the the gentleman was so kind and really interested in hearing what she was explaining to them to him and so she was feeling much much more comfortable and so during the interview she was thriving she was shining all the time and uh, it was only a few times when with two questions that she got a bit stuck and I was able then to promise to remind her I didn't answer but I just said if you remember uh, you were we were mentioning about maybe this example and then she was so happy to be able to remember that or maybe you don't have to go for a professional experience you can maybe bring this subject that you are caring for your mom and um, so having been responsible for all the meds for your mom etc oh and she was just then brah, bringing all that information it was brilliant it's so so good and i think this is the big thing to say about reasonable adjustments that you know we're not asking the earth our it's not um a super super complex process often really this is common sense you know we're thinking oh what would help the person feel more ease like Ozzy was saying or what would bring out the best for them and even you go into an interview with someone that you trust and know if that would make the difference between you being one percent better at that interview then ask for it then do it you don't have to take an i mean great if you can take an employment specialist like jose but if you haven't got an employment specialist in your life ask if you take a mate ask if you take a member of your family because them being there might be that difference between you nailing the interview or feeling a bit isolated and anxious um and anybody anybody can do this uh, you know it's in my opinion you know i've before about has anyone had experience with the um with the interview bit i very often say that on applications where it says do you are there any adjustments we could make at the interview stage and they're not even asking at that point do you consider yourself to have a disability or a protected characteristic they're just saying what could we do to make you perform even better at interview and so uh make use of it guys like don't be you know there's a saying up here isn't there shy ben's getting out if you don't ask you'll never get so it's definitely worth saying something I was just going to say as well, John, um, I mean, another thing, uh, reasonable adjustment, especially in an interview context, um, might be things like prompts, you know, and another thing yep. I've found really useful in the past is a copy, an actual copy of an app, the application form. So that um, because obviously, you know, the questions and things can be based around like the essential criteria and um, you know what um, examples you've given so you can always kind of re-refer back back to those um, examples. But just another thing, just digressing slightly, but um, just before the Equality Act, I, I had postnatal depression with my first child and um, any decent employer, if, you know, they know that you're worth, you, you've got, you add value to, to that company, they'll make reasonable adjustments for you. And they did with me, you know, they 
they um they arranged my shifts differently so that I was working nights and I was able to fulfill my role as a new mum. So fantastic, Deb. And I think you know um you mentioned that in our service we talk about reasonable adjustments in every supervision don't we because we don't expect staff to have to meet a threshold like Ian was saying before why wait until someone's feeling terrible mm-hmm. to say oh guess what we can do something now because you've met the arbitrary threshold for a reasonable adjustment yeah. instead we want to say you know what can we do what can we do right now and are there any adjustments that you can think of and let's just put them into place because we would rather have staff who are healthy and happy because they're going to go the extra mile they're going to be performing smashing out the park um so it would definitely be be easy to do um no no please i was just going to say because i'll see it i i I helped tozia with the with, with a mock interview and I know how much work and he put in with, with this company in question and I've worked with the company in the past I don't know if we could give a name drop because what they have done in my opinion you know is, is really really good and you know how they've kept you updated with other information as I well I think we can name them actually yeah I was yeah I think it's cool yeah I, I didn't want to blurt it out so I mean I, I, you, it's your job your positivity Jose, you go name for. names <laughs> who is this good employer <laughs> yeah well the good employer was the sage in gateshead um it's brilliant the whole support that they have been uh g- giving us um, and that's the sage because there is it when you first told me i was thinking our sage as in the no, the um, accountants the uh, accountants company. firm but this is the sage the, the venue sage in gateshead yeah uh where the northern symphonia is based so is but yeah they were they were brilliant they have been really supporting been very supportive uh, helping us in everything that uh, they could keeping the the process fair um in fact i still do not know the results but um but it i can only say that it was brilliant and at the end of the the interview the lady that i was working with she mentioned Jose, I, I now i do not mind anymore if if I get the job or not, I feel so well uh, and so valued uh, and appreciated that this is already enough reward. And wow, because we are in COVID times, but being in Spanish, I would have had her. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so magic. Like see, when you told us that, like, you know, it, it brings it to your eye to think that because, you know, it makes a difference. You can see it makes such a big difference. Um, that's evidence of a brilliant employer. I know for a fact as a team, we've encountered some very challenging employers and some people who I've heard with my own ears, people saying like mental health is not a disability. So, you know, approaching an employer, we, as as Ian had mentioned before, very frequently the, the process it would, that would happen for us was, would be, would meet the person, would find out what their strengths would are and interests are and ambitions. We then help them secure an interview for somewhere. They smash the interview and then um, that would be maybe the point when they're offered the job where we would help them share information that they've encountered health difficulties that they've suffered from mental health difficulties not suffered sorry they've experienced mental health difficulties and that they would like to we'd like to recommend some reasonable adjustments that's also the point at which some employers turn around and say mental health that's not a thing just pull your socks up man just crack on with it you know and it is quite staggering how commonplace that is still um kate is nodding emphatically Bring yourself to that mic. What have you encountered? Oh my goodness, it's just really frustrating, isn't it? That so many employers do not have a clue, really, to be honest. And I feel that some of the employers I've worked with have really opened my eyes. I thought they would be really good employers at putting reasonable adjustments in and and I've had to educate them, really. They they really haven't understood what they are. Um, And I think and I hope that the IPS team and we will make sure that in the future we're going to change places of work and we're going to make sure that employers become better at looking after the staff and just by offering even a even a how are you today for me that never comes you know like how are you how's your day oh, you look tired somebody just checking in on you at work can make your whole day turn around absolutely and that's often you know we see it in all the suicide prevention literature, all the early intervention literature, you know, check the basic, basic stuff. How are you? 
come or grab a cup. I appreciate it's incredibly fast paced out there. Like bus- some businesses are fighting for survival and stuff. And that might seem like, um, like a luxury that people can't afford. But if we're talking about people's lives and their health, then and, and we know that the biggest cost to many businesses are their workforces that actually invest in that time, having that conversation, even just being, you know, remotely mindful of your work workforce's well-being is going to pay dividends. Like it's seriously going to save you a lot of money in terms of staff retention, in terms of not having to go out to recruitment to replace skilled, experienced members of staff. It's really worth doing. And, you know, um, we're definitely not, and you weren't doing this, Kate, but we're not trying to like... Um, you know, uh, dunk on bad businesses and name and shame people on this podcast by any means. We do that behind the scenes. No, we don't. We don't do that behind the scenes. We we do want to support businesses, don't we? Because in the NHS, we know and that one of the reasons that IPS is around is that if we can help stimulate culture change and help people understand mental health, that it's going to have a, a ripple effect through society, isn't it? That, you know, le- hopefully less people will encounter mental health, less people will need access services, more people can help themselves or each other. So real benefits. Um, what do you do if you encounter one of those businesses that says there's no such thing as mental health, pull your socks up? You know, what's your what are your strategies, guys? <laughs> Everyone's looking around the table like <laughs> at first. I think it's just pol- being really polite, isn't it? And trying to yeah. educate people in a really positive way and an encouragement that, you know, just by those little conversations can can make their lives easier and, and bring their teams together really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Offer, offer some free training as well, John, I think. Because education is, you know, at the root of everything, isn't it? And yep. um, there's obviously you've identified a need, there, a training need. So definitely offer some free, I might add, training. <laughs> and if you're like a member of the public and you, you know, you, you haven't maybe got that resource or you don't know how to recommend training or anything, I guess just having, um, I would always just try and normalize it. So rather than, it's very often you'll meet people in businesses who have lived experience of mental health problems. That's probably one of the most common experiences I have with employer engagement. We go along, we meet somebody, complete, a complete stranger in a business and say, hi, I'm from the NHS. You know, I'd love to talk to you about, about mental health and about what we do. And straight away, they start to say, hey, do you know what? I've had I've had depression for several years now. Or e, my daughter has a terrible time with anxiety. If you can connect with someone in a business who has some lived experience, you've got an ally straight away. So maybe ask around, it it might not be a direct manager, it might be someone, a peer in a business or um, see, you know, find your people and see if you can connect with them and then use them to stimulate that culture change or have that kind of challenging conversation. The, The other thing to say is, if there's a business that's particularly belligerent and saying, uh, you know, you're not telling me twice, there's no such thing as mental health. They're not a business to work for, and my and I, re, I realize that's an easy thing for me to say, being employed and stuff. But um, maybe maybe think twice about whether you want to put yourself through that because if they're not willing to listen to you and they're really adamant that they're not willing to talk about mental health, maybe that's not a, the right place to be employed. I was going to say sometimes as well in the first instance, you you, you hope or I hope if you meet, meet those employers, it's it's ignorance at the start. And like Deborah was saying, you know, try to educate. But sometimes yeah. it can just be that one person in that company and that might be the only person you've got the contact deals for. And sometimes if you can go around the sides or over and find somebody else to talk to who might have a little bit more of an understanding and, 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 and get the results that you want whilst highlighting that, by the way, I was speaking to your colleague who wasn't really on board you're doing them a favor as well because they've hi- they've highlighted you sorry you've highlighted them a training here as well and you you know you, you, that company itself might not be might want to do all sorry might want to do all the right things but if the right people at, at certain levels and I, I've got to say it's normally that mid-management level where you need that that training or, or that understanding of mental health if it's not there in and people are ignorant to it and to say our oh, mental health isn't you know, doesn't count in a disability then there's a training need in the company and if a CEO gets wind of it hopefully they can change that 
within their organisation, the structure in their organisation. Definitely. And, I, you know, like, um, I just want to wrap middle managers out there. Shout out to all middle managers. I suspect that, <laughs> I suspect that we know, I suspect the reason why people do this and fall into this trap is because they've got limited resources and they've probably got targets or they've got pressure from somewhere. And the natural response there is to say, I need people to work, you know, work harder, work smarter and, um, you know, not be ill and all that. And it's, it's really easy to get stuck in that mindset where you just you know they're getting pressure from above probably and they're they're gently trying to pass on that uh not pressure but they're trying to incentivize the workforce and you can get lost i think a bit and not realize that you know these are people who have got you know probably a lot of well-being needs which aren't being met by the business and if you're able to just stop for a minute and think about you know with respect this is very challenging to do especially in covid times but if, if you can try and prioritize well-being in your workforce it will seriously be p- paid back tenfold people will not take the mick people will go the extra mile and it'll save you a hell of a lot of time and money in in the future um so d- definitely definitely worth trying to do that and i appreciate the challenges that managers go through but give it a shot i was going to say just to quantify that as well i know i've had contact in the past two weeks with three companies at that middle management level and i have to say the three people that i've spoken to have been absolutely spot on two of them excellent well trained understand great dead accommodating one a little bit less so but really open to listening to what we've got to say and wants to learn and I get emails every so often from them just asking us a question is it okay to do this because I want to keep an eye on the employee which is which is fantastic so they're willing to learn as well so yeah definitely I know you weren't I know you weren't being disparaged about middle managers (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking oh but there'll be some people listening to this saying they don't bloody know their pressures you know like and we do know that we totally appreciate it's um it's a very hostile environment out there for businesses a lot of businesses have gone under there's a huge amount of pressure placed on people constantly across the hierarchy and businesses so it's often you know, there's definitely an element of ignorance around mental health because it, you know, another podcast we're going to talk, I'm sure, about education and the opportunities to educate young people about mental health and even, you know, young kids. But a lot of us have grown up without much education about mental health, so we know there's opportunities for learning. But but sometimes it's just that you lose sight of the fact that people have got well-being needs. Okay, next um, thing we I think listeners might want to know about is what is reasonable you know if you're in this situation you've managed to get this stage you're going for a job or you're in a job already and you maybe your needs have changed your circumstances have changed what is okay to ask for jose gave the example before about the recruitment about the recruitment kind of stage where he asked if he could attend the interview with somebody and be present um but in terms of other experience of reasonable adjustments what have you guys seen what happens in real life has anyone got any examples i think it's it's things like as i say said before as well john um just small things like um reviewing the shift patterns that someone might you know work or the start and finish times or the mic and condense their hours if that's going to suit so it's just looking at what's going to suit the individual and, and kind of working around that, you know, where it's going to suit the, the person, but also be beneficial to the business. It's it's kind of getting that, uh, that, that happy medium, you know, striking the balance. Yep. So definitely shifts, shifts in, in terms of, um, you know, these days hybrid working, this idea of when you're in the office, when you're working from home, that's going to be a very big one. If, you, if you've got care responsibilities or childcare needs, that's going to be another big one. Um, the awesome thing, the thing which gets me excited about reasonable adjustments, and I appreciate it might not sound like the most exciting topic. Oh my God, reasonable adjustments. But the cool thing is, in theory, anything could be reasonable if you frame it in the right way. If, if you can make the case that it's going to enhance the business in some way or it's going to enhance your work in some way, I can see a little glint in Jose's eye because we've had a running joke in the, <laughs> in the IPS team that Jose really wants a spa. <laughs> and I could see <laughs> I could see the, the cogs turning there like, hmm, the business need <laughs> for getting the spa. Um but if you could, in theory, if you could make a reasonable case for how it's going to enhance the business or enhance your work, then then anything could be reasonable. Do you know, asking a work only Monday, Tuesday, 
changing your shifts, changing where you sit, changing the the software that you use, the hardware that you use. Um, but I guess the challenge is that the onus is on you to to kind of say that or at least come up with the idea. So I'm still fighting for this part, but uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> what I think is that there is no a list of reasonable adjustments. It, yes. It has to be personalized and it, and it is based on each individual. And so it's down to the individual to come across with suggestions as well. And sometimes the individual is not going to know, but might have the support or the help from the health professional to come with suggestions to the company. And there is no obligation for the company to provide those reasonable adjustments, but it's their obligation to consider them and to assess how realistic is for them to provide those reasonable adjustments. And they can come with a no because of financial reasons, because of a lack of um, a workforce to, to support that. But in many occasions, there is going to be that it, it is possible. In this case, for example, what I was mentioning before, that um, I was able to go with a, uh, with this lady for the interview. Well, a previous organization that we applied for, they said no. And I tried to challenge that one, but it was impossible to get in contact with them by phone. Yeah, the, the normal one that I've heard is no, because that's we've never done that. That's never way we. That's never the way we do it. And <coughs> is that t did they did they even say why? Uh, no, because uh, to an interview you have to go on your own. But I was not going to respond the answers for her, but uh, it, it it would support. I mean. Definitely was fantastic. I think it was very helpful uh, for this lady uh, that I was able to go there with. It just, she was much more relaxed or even helping her to kind of calm down at the beginning with the breathing exercises, etc. But what I, what I want to say is that anything can be requested as long as you can justify why you are asking for that. I mean, can you imagine a spa to relax in the middle of the lunchtime? It was fantastic. I, I can imagine it. <laughs> I, I can definitely imagine it, but... Um. <laughs> but after that one, uh, I mean, so if you can justify that that is going to support you to perform in your job in the best possible way and... Um, so as well, the company will have as well to see how that is going to be possible and if it's going to be detrimental to them or it's going to be, uh, yeah, that they can definitely provide you with what you are requesting. So Brilliant. A hundred, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, do their work for them, right? So if you're if you're thinking about asking for reasonable adjustments, okay, do, do a little bit of your homework. This is half an hour. This is an hour of thought maybe and a few notes scribbled down. Okay, what are you asking for? How is it going to enhance the work that you do or make things better for the company? And how can they then do that? Like, how is it how is it going to be beneficial to the business? Think about it from the manager's, that you know, from your manager's point of view, they're probably stressed and tired and they've got a thousand and one things to do. And if you knock on their door and say, please, can I have some reasonable adjustments? They're probably going to be like, oh my God, like this is another thing, another thing I've got to do. Make it easy for them write it down, send it to them in an email or pop it on the desk and say, could we have a chat about this? I've thought about it. I've got some sensible adjustments. If they're going to cost money, if it's about, you know, um, having some kind of equipment or making some changes to the building or anything like that, get a rough idea of costs. If it's something that's free, you know, changes to your shifts, changes to the days you work and whatever it may be, try and work out what would be the impact on the business and how could you mitigate that. So just do a little bit of the homework first. Your chances of getting this getting this accepted are going to skyrocket. But if you go to them and say, oh, things are really, really terrible at the minute, like I just don't know what I'm going to do, there's a very, it can start a very tricky conversation. So try and go like four, four, a four-armed, is that a, yeah. a word in the English language? Four, yes, four-armed, four, be forewarned. Being forewarned. Be for, be you could just use the scout one of be prepared. <laughs> well, let's, be take, prepared. let's take be prepared. <laughs> be prepared. <laughs> Go, do a bit of your homework, rock up with that, and you're way more likely to get it accepted. Um, 
yeah, and businesses, as Jose was saying, I've definitely encountered this where um, businesses will often say, I had a really big business when we first started IPS. We got someone a job with and they said, um, they sent like a one line reply to a very lengthy request from re for reasonable adjustments that we made on behalf of somebody. And the one line reply was, um, this will negatively impact the business or something like that. This will have an impact on um, business delivery, something like that. Okay. And if you're, if you've got an IPS specialist to work with you, or if you're feeling um, frisky and up for a little bit of a, you know, um, a discussion or a, <laughs> a force, I don't want to say argument, but if you're up for pursuing it, um, you can go back to the business and say, well, could you just explain how that is? You know, how, how is it the case that that's going to negatively impact the business, please? Because um, we were talking just before we started recording the podcast about the common situation that you may find is that someone, if it's a very small business that only employs one or two people, it might legitimately be the case that it would be very difficult for them to make an adjustment to, you know, a shift pattern, working days, to remodel the building, widen the doorways, whatever it may be. That might be really hard because they're a very small business and they've got a very small staff. But if you're joining an organization that's got 5,000 members of staff, you asking for Mondays off so you can look after your sick granny, it's going to be quite difficult for the organization to say unless you have a pivotal role that that is going to really damage their the viability of the business but it is am i right in thinking it is their responsibility to have they got a legal responsibility to, to, to say that or in fact maybe we shouldn't even get into the legal stuff we should just say yeah, they, sorry they need to they would need to explain the reasons why they cannot accommodate uh, the request so it wouldn't be sufficient just to say this will negatively impact business. Not why would they impact negatively to the business? Show me. Show me. Show me the money. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, it's, and it's true that once that they tell you that, then there is uh, uh, that opens to a conversation because maybe you can have a, a brainstorm. So you can also then have the possibility of. Um, uh, um, join ideas on how to resolve this but yes. if someone is constantly saying no 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 and then well okay then i i, I what but no but why give me a reason and then you yep. will be able then to to argue to and maybe at the end it's true it's not possible yeah but uh, give me i mean is that gonna impact the the department okay how is gonna impact the department um can be discerned in one way or the other one i don't know there are plenty of areas that you can discuss and uh but if they just say no yeah it's definitely yeah to a no how can you argue to that no well give me the reasons why it's a no and then i will be able to go problem point solve. after point yeah yeah, yeah. and that's definitely that's a sensible way of doing it, isn't it and what i was saying before was probably a bit a bit silly and antagonistic that saying oh just like if you're up for a, if you're feeling for security for a fight with the employer no one's going to really want to do that what you are wanting to do is problem solve if you can you know, meet the employer's needs and get your needs met, win, win. And that's definitely the way to approach it, isn't it? To sit, like you're saying, say, well, can you tell, can you tell me why we couldn't do this? Um, because I, you know, I think this would be really good and I'll help you solve these problems. I was just going to say when you were saying before about being prepared, I know we use wellbeing action plans and return to work action plans. And I know they're really beneficial in the employers that I've spoken because what you like, like you're writing, what you're saying, what you're doing is as a service user, I would argue you're the expert on your life. You're the expert on yeah. knowing what works and what doesn't work for you. And if you go to an employer who's, yep, very, very busy and probably got 101 things going on, especially with COVID, and you go, look, this is the, these are the problems, these are the issues, but by the way, he has all the solutions to them as well. And I know we've done that in the past with, with businesses, maybe wrote four or five reasonable adjustments down, thinking we're not going to get them all. But if you can get two or three of them or four of them, you know, they can help and they can help and support you as well. And you're doing the business a favor because you're saving them time and money to have to time to do the research, to have an understanding. You know, if you're the expert about this type of thing, then 
you know, they should take that on board. And yes, it's great if you've got an employment specialist with you who can, who can back your corner, but be be confident in, in, in your own lived experience, be confident in knowing what you feel can help you. And a lot of the time, reasonable adjustments, and, and, and Hosey will hopefully be able to back this up a lot of the time in, in what we do. We're not asking for money to be invested. It's sometimes a little bit of time yeah. or a little bit of adjustment to the work and day, you know, an extra break here or there, or me medication sedates me throughout the day rather than starting at nine, ten o'clock in the morning, kind of start at two, three o'clock in the afternoon instead and still do my shift. You know, like we should have said this, maybe we can go back in time and edit the start to say this. Really with reasonable adjustments, what you're asking for is a slight tweak to the status quo, aren't you, that's going to bring out the best in you. And in an ideal world, in a utopian future, which we're heading towards, guys, um, that that will be the norm, won't it? What? You're starting with our company. How can we adapt the way that we currently, how can we adapt your working week to best suit you? How can we adapt the workplace to best suit you? And that would be the ideal. But currently things are kind of lagging behind. Kate very um, discreetly and politely held up a little handwritten sign there saying, can we talk about occupational health? And yes, we can. That <laughs> you are funny. <laughs> I'm howling. No, I just think it's um, a lot of people don't know what our health is. And I think they think it's something really scary. So if you're an employee and somebody mentions occupational health, it freaks them out. So I think people need to know that occupational health is on their side and they're there to help. Yeah. And they're they're there to help managers and they're there to help the employee. And they can also figure out with that individual what the reasonable adjustments are and come up with ideas with them. And it's just a huge part of a lot of employers don't necessarily always refer people to Oc Health. They can make people hang on and cling on and hope they'll come back. So it's important that people understand that they can ask to have a referral to occupational health. And this will really, really help both parties. Um, Yeah. Beautifully said, Kate, absolutely. And maybe to marry Ian's point with that as well, you know, you could approach the occupational health department as an opportunity to present yourself as an expert on yourself. Again, if you think about it from the occupational health provider's point of view, you're a stranger to them. They don't know you. You've got 45 minutes to tell them your life story and for them to work out how they can possibly support you. You could make that really easy by going forewarned, Oh, I just need it. Ian said, "Be prepared." Go, you go. Be prepared. Be prepared. Go along with some information about. Look, I've had to think about this. These are adjustments that I think would work really well for me. And I've done a bit of research on the interwebs, and I've heard that other people have had similar adjustments. That occupational health provider, assuming it's we're no longer having a COVID distance, is going to hug you because you've made their job really easy, and they can have a really sensible person-to-person conversation with you now about you know actually yes this would be a really good thing I'm going to write that in my report but very often like Kate said my my experience is people think our health is punitive it's a it's an exercise in finding out if you're really poorly or not and you are going to be you are going to be grilled when actually you know most of these professionals are you know allied health professionals are very experienced clinicians who are on people's side and wanting to do the best for them so if you can go and say I'm an expert myself, here's what I think would work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna be rocking it, and you're gonna be in a much stronger position then um, to get adjustments. If you're in a company that hasn't got an Oc Health department, um, I don't know if you can ask to be referred to an Oc Health department. We'll have to find this out and come back to it on a future podcast, Ian. On that one, all I would say, and I don't know this for for certain, but obviously you've got. <clears throat> An employer has a duty of care to you. So if they don't have an OC Health provider and you're requesting an OC Health assessment, I would argue that that would fall under their duty of care. So they would probably have to outsource it and pay for an OC Health assessment redone for you. That would be my understanding of it. But Ho- like Jose, that's how you get this spa. You need to market yourself. <laughs> There's a. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're not going to get it on there. <laughs> but I'm not asking for a big one. <laughs> manual, I can put the bubbles on. <laughs> With a large bucket, are you sufficient if we call it a spa? A ticket to the <laughs> <laughs> Um 
The final thing I was hoping we could talk about briefly was just that if you are in a position where you wanted to, or you felt you needed to, you know, spend spend some money to make an adjustment in your workplace, um, that is a cool thing. Well, I say it's a cool thing. There is a an option. It's called Access to Work, which is administered by the DWP, and it's anybody who may need to spend money to enable them to do their job to the best of their ability can apply for access to work. Unfortunately, it isn't quite as straightforward as that. In my experience, I helped a gentleman who was um, unable to drive due to the, for a period of time due to the medication that he was using to to uh, get better and, and progress towards recovery for him what that what that meant to him and during that period of time it meant he couldn't drive he wasn't allowed to drive the medication made him really groggy it was really tricky to operate the car um and so for we anticipated that was going to last three or four months and so for three or four we applied for access to work for three or four months worth of taxis so that he could travel uh, he was about it was about 10 miles maybe eight, between eight and 10 miles away from his, he lived eight or 10 miles away from his workplace and he started really early so there was no buses. Or, so there was a logical explanation for this. It wasn't just that he fancied getting taxis. But, um, you know, I guess if you experience, you know, really severe anxiety, public transport's really challenging for you, this this would be the case for you as well, especially if it meant you you were at risk of losing your job or you weren't going to be able to do your job well. Um, it, I will get to the point, sorry. The difficulty was that you've got to front the cost with access to work. So this gentleman had to pay a month in advance for the cost of the taxis and he was then reimbursed on a monthly basis by access to work. But in my experience, typically people are not in a position financially to do that, especially if the changes or the that they're looking to make, which are going to need a, a spend of money, are, are really quite significant. So um, it's just something to bear in mind if someone f- plays the access to work card and is like, "Woo, magic money!" Um, it's not actually how it works, and there's a bit of paperwork involved as well. So we had to like get receipts every month. We had to submit those receipts. If you didn't submit it to the T, you weren't getting the reimbursement. Um, you don't get a hundred percent. You get a, I think it's roughly three quarters of the total cost back. So you are having to pay a little bit of money towards it yourself. But um, it's good. It's worth a look. There's lots and lots of information online. So if you might be in this position and you're thinking, oh, that's, you know, commonly it's used in relation to physical health difficulties, but there is no, by no means does it invalidate mental health difficulties. If you think that a, a little bit of money could be usefully spent, maybe training, employing a buddy in fact i think one of our colleagues did that natalie in north cumbria i think she organized for someone to have um and like a support worker working alongside them for a period of time which really helped and access to work i think supported paying for that support worker so that was like a brilliant piece of work and quite a, a unique way of using access to work um has anyone else got any experience or comments on access to work Sorry, Ian. Sorry, I was going to say, I guess for it's just important to remember as well, it's um, if you're on benefits, you can still claim it as long as you're working one hour a week. So as long as you can, oh. as long as you work one hour a week, you, you're, you're, you can claim access to work or you can apply for access to work, yeah. That's a really good point. So you don't have to be full-time, you know, yeah, yeah. So one hour qualifies. That's cool. We may have to do, I suspect we might get some comments or questions in relation to this podcast. So we will follow up if anyone's got any kind of... Um, if we've said something that you think is patently untrue or we've shared out of date info, hopefully we haven't. I think everything's everything's good, but we would seriously encourage and welcome that. I was going to bring it full circle and back to reasonable adjustments. I know access to work is for those things that a reasonable adjustment or that a company can't make. With a reasonable, with a reasonable adjustment. Oh, yeah, so, so the like C, look at that. Full, Full circle. circle. Excellent. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, well, we hope you found this um, this podcast uh, interesting. Reasonable adjustments can be a little bit of a dry subject, I guess. But, um, you know, this whole idea that we all have mental health in a similar vein all of us could benefit from reasonable adjustments, even if it's just a chat with your manager in your workplace. Like, uh, Jose just mouthed the word spar at me. <laughs> 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 uh, 
oh, how funny. We'll talk about it off off air about the spa, Jose, and we'll update listeners about Jose's spa progress, share pictures and whatnot. Um, Ian, thank you so. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you very much. Deb, and. Kate, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Jose, it's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you for joining us on the pod- podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah. We're hoping that, um, or I'm hoping that you guys are going to come back again and we're going to try and stick to our um, aim of recording a podcast a week or at the very least a fortnight. Um, so hopefully you'll hear some of these lovely people's voices again and we'll be discussing um, other topics and issues. If you've got a question or a comment, if you've got a particular topic you'd like us to talk about, if you would like to come on the podcast, whatever walk of life you're from, even if you're not from IPS, even if you've never worked in the NHS before, we'd really like to hear from you, please. So if you've stumbled upon this podcast um, on Spotify or you've seen one of the stickers that Kate has stuck on public bus stops all around the city, um, please feel free to drop us an email. Our address is ips at cntw.nhs.uk. Um, and yeah we'd love to hear from you we'd love to welcome more people on the podcast thank you so much for listening guys we'll see you next week stay safe out there bye